Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Beautiful day in New Mexico, unless uh, the wind's blowing and <laughs> yeah, something like that. Anyway, good to see you, good to be with you. Uh, today we're continuing our study in a series we've called Travelers. We call it that because we're harking back to the Old Testament. We're harking back to the stories that have been given not only to the Hebrew people, to the Jewish folks, as an heritage, as a history, but also extended on into those who would follow a Jewish Messiah, namely Jesus, Jesus the Messiah. He has become Lord of all to any who will call upon his name. Any and everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what the scripture says. But it comes with a long history of people who first began to follow God, okay? They followed him on a journey in life. And many of you, we all connect with that, don't we? We, we know that from the time that we were young until whatever age you are now, I mean, some, many of you have stopped counting at, at some point, which is probably a good idea. But we know that and understand that it's a lifetime really looks like a journey, traveling from one point and continuing on. And if you are a Christ follower, if you're someone who leans upon the Lord, who looks to the Lord, God will take you on a journey that will be greater than any that you could come up with your own. We live in troubled times. No one I know is excited about 2020. At throughout, I mean, through 2021, because 2020, everyone thought, it won't it be so great when 2021 gets here, and we found out it's just an extension of 2020. In fact, I don't think we should have 2020 until next year. 2021 until next year, you know, because it's just an extension of what we've been through. And it's something that None of us could have foretold. None of us could have said, this is what's going to happen to the whole world, to people who inhabit the earth. And it's been trying for everyone. Everyone going through this experience has experienced trials. And we're here to look at Scripture today and remind ourselves that it's okay. It's just a part of the journey. It's not the beginning of the journey. Maybe it is for some of you, but it is certainly not the end of the journey. And so today we're going to look at Abraham at a time of testing in his life that would shake any father, any parent. But God does it for a reason. Because he designates Abraham as a friend of God, a friend of God, a most unique title, a coveted title, I would say, and hardly attainable in a, by our own estimation for most of us. Before we get started, those of you who are a part of 
uh, been here with us before, we say this affirmation before we get into God's word. If you're new, you're just joining us, we'd love for you to join in. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I welcome all he has for me today. By his will, he guides, by his word, he guides me. By his spirit, he strengthens me. By his will, he's transforming me. I am his workmanship, his unique work of art. And may his will be done in me today. And I receive it by faith in, in Jesus' name, precious name. All right. When we think of friends, and we've talked about this a lot, we've discussed Jonathan, uh, son of King Saul, David, who became the king in Israel, and their friendship. We've talked about them. We've talked about the importance of having people in your life who would con- you would consider friends and a real friend, what that means and how important that is. And typically what happens with real friends is real friends... Uh, give of themselves and enjoy you. You enjoy them for the for the ver- just because of who they are. They don't have to be anyone else. They don't have to pretend to be anyone else. They don't have to try to please you. They accept you for who you are, and you accept them. That that is a definition for me. It's been said also that a friend is someone who comes in when everybody else leaves, right? That person that's loyal and sticks to you. But we have to differentiate between friendships between humans, friendships between animals and humans. I have, my dogs are my friends. They're my friends because um, we don't let them out of the house and so they can make no other friends. I'm the only one. It's a heavy burden, but nothing a few snacks won't take care of. But... Human to human, it's somewhat of an equal playing field, depending upon social status and so forth. But when it comes to God, the rules are different. God has a relationship designed for us with him, even a friendship, but yet it comes with a different set of values. In John chapter 15, Jesus speaking to his disciples, says this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I has loved you. This is my command. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Notice this again. You, disciples, you, believers, are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for our time. And Lord, we ask that you give us wisdom, insight, understanding, healing, Lord conviction. 
We come to you for those things. Things, Lord, that uh, are not available, readily available. But we're called to be directed to you. And so we come directly to you. And we don't consider this time, Lord, trivial. We give it our full attention and we present ourselves to you. Amen. Listen, this is what verse 14 says. It says, you cannot be God's friend without trusting him implicitly. Period. God will not have it any other way. He says, if you do what I command, you say, well, I I heard that his love is unconditional. What is? He loves you in the condition that you're in. And he will love to take that condition and build it up and make it better. He's like a heavenly trainer. Not, Not satisfied with leaving you that way, but loves you that way. But he says, our relationship with the disciples is that it's come to a point to where we say, look... Um, I'm not calling you servants anymore. He was the rabbi. They were the students. They were his disciples. He said, I'm calling you my friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. This is only fair when it relates to a creator God and his creation. Because whether you like it or not, whether you believe in God or not or recognize his existence, God, the creator God of the Bible revealed in Scripture, revealed in history, has said that I have made you for my purposes, for my glory, for my plans. And so for you and I to say that I am autonomous. I can do whatever I want to. I should be able to to just live my life free of any interaction or interference from anyone, even God. And it's an illusion that cripples us. It's an illusion that keeps us away from the true and living God because God says, I want you to function the way that I created you, and the way that you do that is you learn to trust me and listen to me and do what I say. He's not the little kid in the corner who crosses their arm and says, well, you can only be my friend if you do what I say. If you guys don't do what I want, I'm going to take my ball and go home, the old phrase says. We get what that means. That's not him. He's saying, if you really want to be my friends, Do what I say. Why? Well, if God is holy, if God is pure, if God is all-knowing, if God lives in unapproachable light, then don't you think that when he tells you to do something, it is (laughs) probably much better than anything that you can come up with? Can anyone say amen to that? All right, James chapter 1, we're going to look at trials here in a moment. James chapter 1, verse 2, many of you know this well. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, okay? 
of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Genesis chapter 22, we find a guy by the name of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, we've been following their life. They're travelers. They're traveling together, following together. And, and they were told that by God that, you know what, you're going to have a family. <laughs> well, they didn't have any. And as the story goes, it wasn't until Abraham was a hundred at least that God began to fulfill that promise. But he did, and they had a son. And they both laughed about it, and so they named their son, he who laughs, Isaac. And so it seems like God's plan is coming together. Do you like that? Whenever you see like good things happening in your life and you're like, praise the Lord, I got a new son. I got bad news because I'm 100 years old, but I got a new son. God's going to fulfill his plan. You know, it's a whole musical. You can look it up online. Father Abraham had many sons. But what about when God turns your attention? When it, it seems that he's asking you to do something that seems out of his character and would cause your dream, your promise to die. It would be the most illogical thing to do. Now, we know that he is being tested. It is a test of revelation. It's a test to see what God is going to do. Because what we're going to read here in just a moment is that God says, take your only son and take him up to the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him, him before me. Now, if you ever thought that you weren't hearing God, that would be the day that you thought that. But here's, here's what we know from following Abraham. Abraham was, a, was someone who had learned to recognize God's voice. If you're a Christ follower, you, you know that the more that you read his word, you open your heart and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you, you are able to, to determine if it's God's voice or your own. And through experience, he had come to know that this was God. And that's when it made it scary. Verse 1, and some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. We know that Abraham had practiced the, 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 the rite, the worship of the sacrifice of the lamb. It was the innocent. It was the innocent being brought before God. It was an image of that one Jesus Christ who was called out, behold, by John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The great conqueror was seen as this Lamb. But Abraham had been in pagan environments. And I don't use pagan disparagingly. It's just a term to mark those who had variant, aberrant 
practices, such as child sacrifice and human sacrifice. Imagine what's going on in his mind. The reason we say that this is a test of revelation is because he tells him to take his son to the mountain range known as Moriah. Now, Moriah in Hebrew means to see or to perceive or have a vision or to consider to be seen or shown, okay? that The idea here is he said, take him to this mountain range, but in that mountain range, revelation will be given to you. It will be shown. Now, the place where he did this is a place called Moriah, and it's where Solomon built the temple. In fact, if you've ever visited or get a chance to visit uh, the Temple Mount, you'll find the Dome of the Rock, uh, Islamic structure, and underneath that, that uh, big dome is a stone, and it's known as the Stone of Abraham. You can go and see it. Jesus was crucified not many <coughs> yards, streets away from this place. But he said, in Moriah, it will be revealed. There will be a revelation of what God will do. So, let's just stop for a second. Based upon what we know that comes in the story, I'll give a little bit away, okay, a little spoiler alert. Abraham doesn't have to kill his son, which means that when God told him to do so, he didn't intend for Abraham to kill his son. This was a test for Abraham to see what kind of loyalty he would show to God. You say, well, why does God need all of this? You know what? I don't know. He's all-knowing. He knew whether Abraham was going to do it or not. The difference is, and I think this is important as we study Scripture, we take theological precepts that talk about God being omniscient, he's all-powerful, he's all this. So he couldn't have, and we, we use logical assertions that somehow diminish his personality and his person. God is a person, okay? God is a person. And we get our personality, we understand our humanness being made in the imago day, in God's image, so what does that mean? That means that we ought to back up just a little bit and take God's word for what it says and let him be a person. Not just a theological concept that we have to constantly remind ourselves from time to time. He says to you, <laughs> listen, he's going to take this guy Abraham and Sarah. He's making such a deal with them that they're going to be some of the most important people the world has ever known. Literally, worldwide, historically. And he says, I'm going to test you. That's why when we read in James, consider it pure joy when you face many trials or testing, knowing that it proves you. And God knew that this man, this hundred year old, over a hundred years, that this would shake him to his core. But this would knit him to himself in a way that goes beyond servant and God to friend. 
A friend brings you into their experience in ways that they do not other people. Acquaintances, you let them in so far, you speak to them, you may be cordial or rude depending on what time of day you're driving. Some people just need rudeness to get it right, all right? But what, what he does is he knows us intimately and he wants us to know him and that happens by experience. So he said in verse 3, early in the morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two servants and his son Isaac. And when he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, they set out of that place that God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood from the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac. Now, we don't know exactly how old he was, but we know if you can load all of the wood for a fire big enough to burn a human, um, he was probably in his teens. Not early, probably late. So this was happening to someone who may have been considered an adult already, soon to be, but it wasn't just a little boy, okay? Now, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? See the common practice? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. They had come to Moriah to see. It was a test for Abraham of revelation. Because if Abraham knew God at all, he would know that he was beginning to know that he keeps his word, that his character is true. And so he, probably more than anything, is wondering, how will God do this? Because in faith, he tells his servants, we're going to come back together. He, in faith, he tells his son, God will provide a sacrifice. Okay? God is going to do this. I know him. But then it comes to a test of will. And that's much different, isn't it? It's one thing to observe and to see, God, I wonder how you're going to work this out. I know you're going to. I trust you that you can work out the circumstances in a way that make it best, Lord, for your kingdom and for your people. I trust that. But then it comes down to you and your participation. And that is a test of will. Look at verse 9. When they reached the place... God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, if he's over 100, over 110, I don't think he's going to do much fighting with Isaac. If Isaac wants to get away from this guy, he can get away from him. 
right? Hold up, not fair, hand me my walker. <laughs> Give me a head start. No. In curiosity, I'm sure he wondered what his father was doing. How to describe their relationship, I cannot. But one thing for sure, as the same type of love that Abraham had for God, Isaac had trust in his dad. It had to be a terrifying moment because this was an act of the will. This was not natural for Abraham. It wouldn't be natural for you, almost anyone, save only the gory. Save only the ghoulish. And yet, they were following through. If you're not a Christ follower, if you're someone who says, you know, man, this kind of story is the reason that I'm not a believer. Because it sounds so crazy. How barbaric. Why would God do something like that? I'll tell you why. You ready for this one? This one's going to stick with you for a long time. Because God wants to know who his friends are. Swallow that one. God wants to know who his friends are. God wants to know who he can trust. God wants to know who will listen to him. God wants to know who in the face of, of circumstances that are contrary will still believe and trust that God is going to work it out. God wants to know who his friends are. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your only son. Your only son. Abraham had no idea the significance of what he was doing, but God did. So what happens? After this act of will, denying him own self and being obedient to God to the extinguishing of his only son, his promised son, God says, no, I know. I knew who my friend is. He says in verse 13 that he provides. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and looked at the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the will the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. You see, the, he, he said, it is a word, a phrase in Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh. Many of you have heard that as the name of God. But it's a place where God provides. It means that in the place of the mount, it will be shown how God will provide. That is a staple. That is a, a, a word from God from way back in the day. 
For anyone who would dare be his friend, anyone who would dare trust him or follow him, here it is, in the mountain of the Lord, Moriah, it has remained to be seen. We're looking for a vision. We're looking to, to find out in the place that we're looking to find out from God, it will be provided. You see, the whole process is, is this test, but this test is drawing someone to look to God and to find out what God is saying and what he is doing. And if that is you, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. God provides. God will for you. You see, God and Abraham were friends. Abraham had more in common with God the Father than he could imagine. He did. Think about this if you're God. You're setting this up. You've got a human being over here. You're creation. You love him. And you, you take him on this faith journey where finally he's so old he can't have kids. And then he does. And then you say, okay, I'm going to, I told you I would make you a great nation. But I'm going to bring you in a little further. Because if this is going to be uh, a relationship, okay, a relationship where we have millions of people and kings and rulers that come from you, and this will have an impact on the whole earth that I've created, then you and I got to be friends. We got to know each other and trust each other. And so he drew Abraham into that place. Isaac's birth was a miracle, just as the virgin birth of Jesus was a miracle. They spent a three-day journey going to Moriah, enduring Abraham's heart agonized over his only son. But it's, it's also reminiscent of the three days that the father was separated from his only son, Jesus, in the tomb. Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. That's what we're told in Hebrews chapter 11. And the Bible predicted that God would raise Jesus from the dead more in common than they think. Abraham led Isaac to Moriah and the altar of sacrifice. God led Jesus to the temple mount on Calvary as propitiation for the sins of the world. Isaac carried the wood on Moriah. Jesus carried the cross up to Calvary. Abraham and Isaac, like God the Father and the Son, went to make a sacrifice together. The child Isaac was instructed by his father that he was a sacrifice, just like the child Jesus was instructed by his father that he would be a sacrifice. We find that in Luke 2. The, the geological location where Abraham offered Isaac was just walking distance from where Jesus was offered. Go from the Dome of the Rock. All the way over to Calvary is just a few, a few steps away. Both Isaac and Jesus were bound. Abraham raised up a knife against his son, and God said that he would raise up a sword against his son in Zechariah 13.7, if you want to look that up. Like God, who spared not his own son, but delivered him for us all, Abraham offered up his only unique son. Isaac trusted the character of his father just like Jesus trusted the character of 
the Father in heaven. And both Isaac and Jesus were delivered from death on the third day as found in the book of Acts. You see, God shared with Abraham a miracle, an altar, and a sacrifice. Abraham and God both instructed, bound, and willingly offered their trusting sons together in death. Together they gave all, and together they were delivered and rejoiced in the ultimate triumph over the shared experience of faith and love. Together, as friends. You see the picture here? Abraham, you're going to be my friend. The beginning of all of this, the beginning of everything that I'm going to do, I'm going to make that friendship with you, with a human being, and you're going to know what I do. I often hear complaints or reasons why someone doesn't want to follow God. And I get it. It seems illogical, it's not scientific. But folks, when I read this, I want to follow this God. I want to follow this God. I want to follow Him. I want to talk to Him. I want to know His voice. I want to be with Him. Because this is the kind of stuff that grabs at the center of a human being and says, come alive and come on a journey with me. Just because you ignore the trail doesn't mean the trail isn't there. Just because you ignore the voice or the horn or the loud noise doesn't mean that it's not there. And just because you ignore the presence of God and you ignore His voice doesn't mean that He's not there. I don't trust any of you in here, web, anywhere, to build me a world. I wouldn't look to any of you here to sacrifice anything of your health, yourself to save me eternally and have my sins for forgiven. There's an older story that dates back with real people extending all the way up to now and beyond until he comes of people who have interacted, credible people who have interacted with him. And you're a fool if you laugh at all. This is the God that we must serve. But we've got to put feet to it. It's got to be real. James talks about this. He says in verse 17 of James 2, In the same way faith by itself is not accompanied by action is dead. But someone will say, I have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son on the altar? 
You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous not by what they, by what they do and not by faith alone. And so, this is where our theology gets us a little tricked up. Or was he talking about salvation here? We know that it's, only, it's not by works, it's only by God's grace, only God can save a person. Yes, relax, it's not talking about that. What it's saying is, is that you're running around telling everybody, I have faith in God, you, well, let's see it. That's what he's saying. People will look and go, hmm, I guess you do trust God. See, that's the picture. That he says, it has to be matched with works. It has to be seen in action, you know? It's like the guy, his wife, you know, says, honey, how come you never tell me I love you? He said, I tell you I love you. When? Valentine's Day and your birthday every year, two times a year. What she's saying is, show it. Let me see it. And faith without Action like that is dead, and faith without that action is, is devoid of friendship with God. God loves it when you lay it on the line. God loves it when you do what he says. You see, <clears throat> this comes from a sovereign Lord who has all the power and ability, and all he wants us to do is to respond to it. Not to ignore it, not to slough it away, but to respond in action. That's, that's just the way things work. No one, no one was ever a friend in theory unless it was your imaginary friend when you were seven years old. If you still have that friend, we'll talk after the service. We have some professionals that we can turn you to. No one was ever a friend in theory, but action proves the heart of a friend. Where everyone else would run out and say, God, that's crazy. Abraham runs in and he says, okay, let's do it. And God says, Abraham, you got a friend in me. What do you want to be now that you're grown up or you're growing up? What, what experience do you want in your life? Listen, man, there's nothing like tuning in to heaven. There's nothing like listening to God. I'll even hear him while I'm cooking. That's kind of crazy because I'm focused, man. When there's food on the line, I'm there. But I'll hear his voice and I'll respond and I'll think, this is the absolute best life ever. To wake up, to hear your voice, to go throughout the day and be reminded of your presence, that you're there with me. To think beyond my own limitations in various circumstances because I know that you're not far. To be called God's friend. Ah, it's not going to get any better than that.
if you're watching on the web, you're here in the, the fellowship and you just say, you know, I've kind of turned my belief off to God or I just sort of backed away. I figured God didn't want to have anything to do with me. I'm such a loser. Well, God has a long history of loving losers. Abraham told a guy by the name of Abimelech, King Abimelech, that his wife was his sister. That's not high on the list of integrity. Didn't bother God. God knew what he was. God was his friend. God will be your friend. He's not the man upstairs. He's not the big guy. He's not your buddy. He's the king and ruler of the universe. And he extends his hand of friendship to you and I. question is, what will you do? Slap it away, turn it away. Myth. Couldn't happen to me. I only have one thing to say to you. If you don't take this opportunity, you're missing out. Nobody else is missing out. You are. You're missing out. You say, well, I'm... I'm too intellectual to believe it. No, you're not. There's more nerds in this church than you can throw a stick at. Run around here talking about how smart you are. No, you're not. The question is your will. I personally, with all of my faults and all my weaknesses, gladly choose to take God at His word and with all my warts and all my problems, accept his friendship. And in that, I've been set off on a journey, and so are you. If you need Jesus today, bow your head and ask God to forgive you of your sins. That's the right thing to do. Ask God to forgive you and to bring you in and to fill you with his spirit. He'll do that. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's everyone. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for calling Abraham a friend and extending that beyond to all who believe. He has become the father of those who believe. Lord, help our unbelief. Strengthen the weakness in our ourselves. And may, Lord, we experience true friendship with you. Ah, Lord, sovereign, blessed God, holy is your name in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? We'll sing.
Tan grande es Dios, cántale cuán grande es Dios y todos lo verán, cuán grande es Dios. To be in church today. It's good to be with you who are joining us online. You know, the word safe is used a whole lot these days. We're safer than we've ever been at any moment at any time. Unless you're a skateboarder or you drive on Montgomery on Saturday nights. You're not safe. But i tell you one thing. If you're with the living God, you're safely within the gripped, grip of a friend to humans. And I pray that's you this week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. God smile on you and gift you. God look you full in the face and make you prosper. God bless you, my friends. Go in peace. Go with God. All right, see you next week. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.